Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Tom Finn podcast, a podcast where I, Tom Finn, chat to different creative folk about their life, career and creative journey to hopefully provide interesting chat and helpful advice for other creatives. On this episode of the podcast, I chat to writer and director Eva Riley. Originally from Edinburgh, Eva Riley has written and directed a number of short films, including a short drama called Diagnosis, starring Charlotte Spencer for the BBC, and has more recently written and directed her first feature film, Perfect Ten. We discuss all that, as well as her early life, breaking down writing and directing a film from start to finish, and her thoughts of becoming a mother while maintaining her career. If you're interested in watching any of Eva's work before listening to the podcast, I'll link as much as I can down in the description. I actually first met Eva while I was studying at Brighton Film School. Without her, I don't think we would have been able to get our graduate film made. Plus, she was the first person that I discussed this podcast with, and the first person to agree to be on it. So I'm glad we managed to actually figure out a date and time and and record the podcast together. I was also delighted to meet her newborn baby, which, by the way, you might be able to hear some baby noises in the background towards the end of the podcast, but I think it really adds to the baby atmosphere. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Eva Riley. You're originally from Edinburgh? Yes, that's right. So how was your upbringing there? Were, were you like creative as a child? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Edinburgh and uh, with my mom, and I have like three older siblings. Um, and my mom is very creative, like doesn't do it for a job, but she is like a really big reader um, and she's like really crafty and things. Right. Um, and she actually studied as a mature student when I was young. Okay. So she, like, I remember, like, she sometimes had to watch films for her course um, at the cinema. And I remember being taken when I was quite young to see some films, like, um, I saw Battleship Potemkin, which is, like, a really old oh, okay. I know film, of it, like, yeah. Because she was studying, like, Russian history and stuff. So, yeah. um, and I remember I had to watch that at the cinema. Uh, it was a bit bizarre. I didn't understand. It was not, I didn't like it. I was just like, Is wow. that one of the steps? One of the steps. Yeah, and they're yeah. they're going down uh, the steps and there's like a very famous shot of a woman with her glasses smashed. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching that. And like I said, I didn't enjoy it exactly. But yeah. it was interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess my mum was pretty creative. And also I've got much older siblings and they were like, my brother is really into films. My sister, both my sisters are really into music. So I guess I was like, because I'm a lot younger than I was exposed to a lot of yeah. um, kind of stuff through them that I wouldn't have listened to if they hadn't been around. Yeah. What kind of stuff were they showing? Um, like, I remember... I remember my brother used to watch a lot of stuff on the TV and video it and then watch it back. And there was, like, quite a lot of obscure films okay. we'd watch. Um, and I'd probably watch a lot of films that were a bit too old for me. Like, yeah without telling my mum. Like, I remember actually him watching a really scary film. I can't remember what it was, but I, like, was actually asleep in the same room and I remember peeking and watching it. Um, um, I'm trying to think, like, maybe Kubrick films, I guess. Stuff that I didn't necessarily like, you know, but it was just around. And I also had a a good friend, very good friend, um, who also had older siblings. And I remember her brother used to watch a lot of, uh, films and she was allowed to watch much scarier films than I was allowed. I remember watching Scream with her, right. being absolutely terrified. Yeah. Um, I remember watching like the little the Butcher Boy, I think it's called. Really scary film right. about this guy, like little boy murders lots of people. And yeah. So just like I guess I just watched a lot of stuff that maybe was probably a bit too old for me. Yeah. Um, and I also read a lot of books. So I was a, a really early reader. Um, I loved reading and my mum I think to shut me up sometimes we'd go to the library and I think you'd get 13 um, books in your library card yeah. so you used to get me like 13 books like you know kids books yeah. and come home and I would just read and read and read and read and read so I think that's always quite a good start to have yeah, just yeah. to like read a lot um, and I would just always have notebooks and like be writing stuff and my brother was into music so I would like play guitar and stuff so I guess it was just a lot of cultural stuff yeah. going on when I was little. Were you like that at school? Were you more into creative stuff at school? Um, Yeah, I was quite a weird kid. Like, right. I was quite odd. <laughs> like, not so much in high school, but in primary school, I was, I was quite quite an odd kid. Yeah. Um, I was kind of into my own obsessive things. Okay. Um, um, I guess I loved drawing and, like, writing stories. And I forgot a lot, found a lot of my old stuff when I was a kid recently. And I used to make books. Yeah. Books which were, like... Um, bits of paper like stapled together mm. 
you know, but it would I be like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I loved all that stuff. I remember once I went to the shop and I, it was like a hard, hard um, back notebook. Right. I remember being like, wow. And I thought in my head that this meant it was, if I wrote in it, it would be like a published book. Yeah, yeah. So I remember being really excited with stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and then in high school, uh, I had a lot of friends who were into music because it was quite a musical sort of music unit in my school. A lot yeah. of really talented musician friends. Um, and I was really into drama. Sorry, right. that's the thing I should say. So mostly I wanted to be an actor when I was young. So when okay. I was in primary school and also in high school, I really, really loved acting in um, like musical theatre and yeah. like drama clubs. I went to like, that was my, my main passion, I guess. Um, Were you good? No, I don't think so. Like I have no way to know if I was good yeah. because it's like, I can't remember. It's so subjective, my experience of it. And then like I did, you know, I did like a higher, uh, like exams in drama you call them hires in scotland but it's like right. the same as like um a, a levels well, i a guess level, or right. like um what's the half an a level called when you do like half an a level oh um <laughs> what do you get if you just did if you did one year in a level and you left what would you get it's like year 12 isn't it and then year 13 so a level is the main one then like is it not, is it as as, AS? I don't I get confused. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. So it's like there's hires and advanced hires. Advanced hires yeah. like an A level and hires can have that. So I did a higher in drama and I think I got a good mark. But that was all also judged off the back of writing and, you know, right, academic yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I think I was a bit of a show off. So I like quite liked I think it was like a combination of a show off and also quite shy. Okay. So I think I quite liked expressing myself through drama. Yeah. But also got quite nervous. And I never got like a good part in a show. So I was always in like lots of theatre groups and like wanted to get a good part. But I was never getting a good part. So I don't think I was particularly good. Yeah. But I like really enjoyed it a lot. I know a lot of creatives that are like very shy people. And as soon as they do any performing, that's it. They just go crazy. And I'm really interested in that actually. Like as a theme of that in some of my work, like I'm very interested in how people... um, express themselves through drama yeah um, and also like I work with actors who are not always professional actors so I'm quite interested in how people can be good at acting and mm. um, so yeah I think I think what I was good at was improvising so sometimes I do like almost like comedy improvising in a drama class or, right. or, or drama club and I think I was quite good at that I could p- make people laugh yeah I was quite silly like I was quite a weird looking child yeah. very tall and like gangly and I think I could make people laugh like yeah this. yeah that was that was my drama experience yeah I could make people laugh and then if I did anything serious, I was like, oh, I'm not actually very good at this. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I was similar to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was the only way I could make people like me as well at school. Yes. Because people would instantly not like me because I was strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as soon as you make them laugh, they're like, oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah, you become less threatening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I was probably similar. I think I conformed a lot more in high school. Right. Um, but definitely in primary school, I was the weird kid. Do you think you, you use those... Um, uh, improv skills and stuff now when you're directing and that kind of thing. well <clears throat> I love people improvising like that's what I use a lot um, mm. I don't think I think it's a totally different kind of improvisation to what I used to do um, but I'm I do like I don't I get quite bored of people sticking to the script completely yeah. Um, so I like my thing, my passion in directing is getting actors to improvise. Yeah. Uh, people get quite confused when you say improvising. People think that you mean making stuff up completely on the spot. Yeah. And it's not that because obviously I have to keep them on the track with the story. Yeah. But I like to give people the script and be like, oh, don't worry, we can change the lines, um, or we can go off course a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, and I really love that. So you're not one of those, like, stick to the lines directors? Not at all, no. I'm totally blasé about my, my script. Because I, I don't think I'm not that excited about my writing. I know it sounds silly. Like, I like, I think I'm quite good in terms of, like, creating a structure for a story. But in terms of dialogue, I always think actors can probably say something more interesting than my yeah, brain. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm not, I can't be a million people. I can't get inside people's head and know exactly how they're going to speak. Yeah. Whereas I think some writers can do that much better than me. Hmm. So what I write in the script is just, like, a rough, yeah. like, well, I think we had when we did our film, we did that of them because that's something you said to us, and it was so oh, much yes. better. Yeah, you know, like so much just, better. Uh, especially when we um, auditioned them. Yeah, them reading the lines compared to them improvising changed everything. It does. We yeah. everyone we got on the film was because of the improvisation. Good. That is a really um, good way to do it. Yeah, because I mean, it makes sense to me. Like people don't go around life like rehearsing what they're going to say most of the yeah. time just come you just say whatever comes into your head yeah so it's much more realistic i think like the uh the guy who uh uh, david mcgilvery who was the first guest in the show yeah he played um marty oh yeah yeah and 
I, I've told him this in the podcast, so it's fine. But yeah. when he first came in, none of us caught, sort of could read him. We all thought mm. he was like intimidating and um, seemed like old school. Yeah. And then when he improvised, he made all of us laugh the whole time. Yeah. And you could tell they're like, oh, okay, no, they get it. I think that's when you can tell someone's a really good actor. Yeah. And, and I've done so many auditions with actors where they can't improvise. I, I basically just would never take someone if they can't improvise. Mm. Because it's just, it's such a basic skill. Yeah. So from when you finished school. Yeah. So you were, you were doing drama and things. Did you have any film at the time? Um, no, actually. Um, no, I did media studies, but it was right. very much about. Was it like news and things yeah. like that? Yeah. I remember finding it quite boring, actually. Yeah. Well, I remember we had to watch The Wizard of Oz, right. and also we had to watch um, what's the one with Johnny Depp in it, who plays, uh, oh, God, I can't remember. Johnny Depp. Yeah. And he's like, Edward Scissorhands. Oh, right. So we had to like do essays about that, but it was very dry. Mm. And I had a really nice teacher, but I don't. I just not for a moment thought I would be a filmmaker at all. Um, and there was not really access to kit, you know, like yeah, it was... Yeah. It was in like the early noughties. Okay. So, you know, there was no, you know, of these digital cameras that were accessible to people to buy. Yeah. Um, it was like VH, little tape videos. Yeah. We or, still use that when I was at college. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. when I studied at university, it was only just changing actually. Uh, or uh, there's no access to 16mm or 35mm kit. Like yeah. it was just, I didn't, I didn't think there was even a filmmaking part of the school at all. Right. Or photography or anything like that. Maybe there was, but I missed out on it. And I was just focused on drama. So, yeah, didn't do anything like that at school. So then when you left, what, what did you do then? Um, I left and I um, went travelling and had fun and I, like, right. worked, you know, in cafes and stuff like that and had a ball, you know, had really f- I, like, left. I actually didn't do my last year at high school because I got a bit bored of school. Right. So I just wanted to have a life, basically, and it was really fun. And I earned some money Um, went travelling. It was just really exciting. Mm. And then... Did you did you learn a lot? Was it one of those life-changing experiences? I mean, yeah, I learned... I mean, I just had a ball, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I had a, yeah, just did a lot of drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Travelling around the world and partying. And, like, I made a lot of new friends, like, who were a bit older than me. And, you know, it was just it was just a really nice time. Yeah. I think I think it was probably... I think I did a year of working in a cafe, actually. And then I... So I was saving up to go travelling. And then I okay. went to North America and to India, like, with friends and things. It was great. And then, actually, I think when I was coming back from India, I was going to do an audition for drama school. And I did it. And I was really... I think I was really bad in the audition, actually. Okay. I have bad memories of it. And I didn't get in. And I was really upset. But almost, almost like, the next day, after being upset for one day, I was like, I don't care anymore. I just was, like, so uninterested in being an actor anymore. Yeah. Not because I was rejecting it because I was upset, just because I think... I suddenly realised actually this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then I think I was having that, you know, university panic. So I feel like there was a lot of things I I planned to do and I kind of forgot the timeline of it all. So I know that at one point I wanted to go to drama school. At one point I wanted to, I think I got into a course to do theatre studies at like Brunel University or something like that. And for some reason I decided I didn't want to do it. So I, what did it? And I really got interested in photography in that time. So I decided to go and do like a college course. Um, not it's different in Scotland. So when you say college down here, I you mean like sixth form college. Yeah. When I say college, I mean like you know post uh, eighteen college. Right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So like in America, when they call like they've got colleges like unis um, kind of thing. Not really. It's just like a pr- between school because like, for us school is up until seventeen eighteen. Okay. And then there's the school, and then there's university. In between that, you can go to college. It's more like a training place to do something specific um so I decided to do a photography course um, and I got onto that and it was really like I really enjoyed it um but for some reason I had a real panic in the middle of that and thought I need to actually go to university I think I actually spoke to a friend who had moved to university and I was kind of jealous like I remember thinking it sounded really fun to be in halls and stuff um, so I did the clearing you know the clearing yeah and you apply through clearing to get into a course I was really panicking, thinking, I really want to go to university now. And there was a course in Bolton, um, and it was photography and film. Right. And I think it was actually, sorry, I think it was video, photography and video, actually, they called it. And it was exactly what I wanted, because it was like two things, you know, I was really interested in photography. I thought, and a video sounds cool as well, you know. And I went to an interview, and literally the next week, I started at university, so I moved to Bolton for a year. Um. 
I did end up actually moving, like transferring back to Edinburgh okay. after my first year. The course was really fun at Bolton, but I just actually missed home. So I wanted right. to get back to Edinburgh. So I um, got onto a course at, called Photography and Film at Edinburgh. So okay, it was this roundabout way to get back to Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. So do you miss Edinburgh now? Um, yeah, like, yeah, in some ways, like, I love Edinburgh. Um, yeah, I guess so. It's, uh, there's things I miss about it, some things I don't. Like, yeah. I love being down in Brighton as well. Um, my partner, like, he really wants to possibly move back to Scotland. So we okay. might move back to Edinburgh at some point or Glasgow. Yeah. Um, but it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. Yeah, but yeah. definitely when I was, at this time I was in Bolton, for some reason I really miss Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to see my, my best friends who lived there and... So I moved back quite quickly. Yeah. And it was a good choice because it was quite a good course that I got into. You went to, was it, did you go to, um, what was the film school? Um, National Film and Television School. So was I did it my directly after there. that? Then? No. So I probably graduated from... Edinburgh um, Napier University which is called I finished my course there about 2008 right and I started my uh, masters in directing fiction at NFTS in 2013 okay it was five years between it so when I left university in Edinburgh um, I'd started to get into directing a little bit and like I I directed a sort of 60 mil short film and then another 60 mil short film after that um, and had kind of gone off photography. Like, I love photography and I'll, I'll always love it, but I think I realised I didn't want to do it as a job anymore. Yeah. Um, so I thought this whole film thing is really fun. Um, but when I left, I don't. I definitely wasn't thinking I'm going to be a director for my job um, because it seems like quite a far-off idea. Yeah. And you're like 21. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to be writing director, but that just seems ridiculous. I know a lot of people like that. Though. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, you've got to make money and all that stuff and... You know, it just seems a bit mad. Yeah. So I left and I was very interested in film though. So and I made some friends who were just that little bit farther ahead, ahead than me. So we were working in producing films and oh, cinematographers and stuff like that. So I got some jobs running, like being a runner on set. I got a job being a really bad art department assistant. Like, right. I was very bad at it. <laughs> I remember having to like make cob- fake cobwebs or something, yeah. and I was just like, "God, this is not me at yeah. all." Wow. Um, and I did a bit of producing for a guy who made um, animated short films okay. in Edinburgh, and that was quite a big deal because I, I actually got paid for it like quite well. Yeah. I remember being like quite shocked. I get paid for something. Yeah. Um, so it was just. You know, just testing out little di- different things. But also I was just having normal jobs, like working at bars and cafes. I was like a support worker. Um, you know, just having a life and having fun. And I went to travelling again, actually. So I went to Central America for a little while. Right. So there's just like lots of stuff going on there. Yeah. And then I also, I was applying. So there's lots of funds, like um, film funding call-outs that were happening. And so people would say... Um, you know, apply to this and you might get £10,000 to make a film. Yeah. So I applied to lots of those and I got one uh, that at the time felt like a quite big deal. So it was like, I think it was like £10,000, £15,000 funding for a short film. And I couldn't believe that I got it. I was really shocked. Um, and it was like a kind of long process. You got picked for this group to be this group of filmmakers, but you didn't definitely didn't definitely get the money at that point. Okay. Then there was like, uh, like I don't know six weeks of development and at the end they chose like two short films to be made right so they chose my film and I was like wow that's amazing um then I made the film wasn't particularly happy with the film right um because I think it was just a bit overwhelming like it was some more money than I'd ever worked with before yeah and there was lots of people involved and I'm a bit of a control freak I think control freak is probably a negative word but like okay. I like things to be in my control and to yeah. understand what's going on and there was suddenly just loads of people involved. And I think I felt like, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be given this film money to make a film. Mm. So I can't really, really express what I want to do with it. And so okay. got, you know, like, which I think happens a lot of short film, but like any filmmakers, so when you get money, is that you sometimes get ridden along on this wave. Okay. And you end up making the wrong decisions. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, I should just be happy I've got the money to make the film. Did you get like imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like the recurring theme of my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I was a bit like, oh. And then, I, yeah, so I was just making the wrong decisions. It was a complicated short film. Like the the, the lead actress had to was had to be a woman with Down syndrome. So I was looking okay. for actors who uh, had a li- probably had less experience than normal. Right. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it was fine. There's parts of what I liked, but it was more like a learning curve than rather than like a film I was really happy with. Yeah. But it was, you know, I think the film business is like something where it's a bit of a ladder. And if you get something like a funded short film, you can say, I've got money to make a film and people take you seriously for the next thing. Yeah. So then um, I moved down here for other reasons, personal reasons, moved down to Brian because my, my partner got a job down here. Um, and then I got some more funding. So there was a thing called Ideas Tap, which is like a, a thing for uh, filmmakers under 25. It doesn't, doesn't run anymore, unfortunately, but I got £4,000 to make another short film. Okay. Worked with some people who were up at Edinburgh, like remotely we worked together. And then I made that. And again, I'm not totally happy with that film, but it was definitely like progress yeah. again. And then, uh, and then basically that takes us to 2013 when I got into the film school. Right. So I'd done two funded short films by the time I got into film school to do directing fiction. Is that how you got into the film school? Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I actually, looking back, I hadn't actually finished the second short film. Um, but I had finished the first short film and I'd done these short films at university as well, which is part of the application. And actually, I, I applied twice, actually, which I always think is really important to tell people because I think it's so easy to get put off by not getting in on yeah. the first time somewhere. So I got I applied um, to film school maybe in like 2011, I guess. And I got an interview and they were really nice. Um, and I didn't get in, but I got a really nice letter from Linda Miles, who's the who was the head of directing at that time. A really nice lady. And she, was, she just sort of wrote with application, the rejection letter, you know, like we do think you're really interesting and we want you to apply again next year if you can make another film in the meantime. So then, which is really nice. And I don't think I would have applied again if she hadn't written that. So it just shows how important it is to be like encouraging to people. Yeah. So I applied again the next year and I think I'd done Sweetheart by that time, which is the the first funded short film. And um, and then I got him. So that was, that was just amazing, an amazing time for me because it was basically, it was going to be two years. Um, just studying directing mm. which is just like my thing you know it was such a specialized course um and it was hard to get into so it was just a real dream of mine to get in there I was really happy. what do you think was more important up until that point for your progression mm. was it the things you learned in education or everything you did outside of education I think it's everything, really. Right. Do you mean in terms of getting into film school or do you mean just in terms of me progressing as a filmmaker? Just progressing. I think as a filmmaker, like, you're a good filmmaker if you've had life, any life experience. Mm. So, you know, just being alive and living in the world is really helpful. Yeah. And then I think for me, I'm so, I think I'm someone who doesn't get things right on the nose straight away. Okay. I think it takes me a little while to work things out. Mm. So I think I needed that time to do these other short films. Um, I think it, I think it actually was probably really helpful doing films that I wasn't that help, happy with in the end. Yeah. Because I really learned a lot. Like I don't like it when things don't go my way. Like yeah. no one does. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of like annoyed when I had annoying experiences. I think I learned a lot from it. I think when things go really well, sometimes it's just a fluke. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But when yeah. things go badly, you can really reflect on them. Yeah, yeah. And really think, okay, I'm not going to do that next time. Uh, so I think it's a mixture of everything. I think the first short film I did at university was a big confidence boost because people really liked it. And I think that set me on my course to being a filmmaker. Right. But I think the stuff I did after university was just helpful in terms of me, like, really understanding what I wanted to do as a filmmaker, I guess. Yeah. Do you think, would you prefer it for a project you're working on for something to go wrong and for you to learn something than for everything to go perfect and you sort of finish and go, oh, okay, well, that's done. No, I I definitely prefer everything went perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's always really, I think it helps if you turn the bad experiences on their heads. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, obviously I want everything to go perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, especially now, do you know what I mean? But I think those early years, especially when it's like lower stakes hmm. um, filmmaking, when it's not, you know, millions of pounds you're spending. Yeah. It's good at that point. If anything's going to go wrong, you want it to be on a, like a very low budget short. Yeah. Than on a feature, than a feature film. So how was film school for you then? Yeah, I had a total ball. It was amazing. Um, my first year was, my first year was probably more fun than the second year because there's more pressure in the second year. Um, first year, it's just like, you just, I don't think anyone really can really believe it that, that they're there yeah. and that they just get to talk about film all day and everyone else is really, you know, talented and it just feels like a bit of a fairy tale, I guess. Um, 
And then second year is really good as well, but this this you do a graduation short film at the end. Yeah. And for some reason, there's this like ridiculous pressure. People act like it's the last film you're ever going to make, yeah. and your life's over if you do a bad film. So it's a bit silly. Um, but I like second year as well. Um, and I made three short films over the two years. Um, the main and, and the second year was just like one short film. So I guess it just feels like more pressure that second year. Yeah. But I did love it, and I have many friends from there, and I learned. I definitely became a much better filmmaker from being at film from being at film school. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say? Uh, it's necessary to go to film school? No, absolutely not. Like, I think everyone's different. I think for me, um, like, I'm a bit sometimes, I don't know, a lot of people wouldn't say I'm shy, but I think I am okay. in some ways. Maybe everyone thinks they're shy, I don't know. Or sometimes I have a bit of wobble in confidence. Yeah. Or I certainly did at that time, like I felt a bit green to it all. And I think I needed that time at film school to really... Um, I don't know. I just needed that, like again, like low stakes time, right? Because I don't think I'm. I'd be very good out in the like, industry at that age. Whereas some people are so good and so confident at just getting out there and getting things made, yeah, putting themselves out there really um, young. Um, and I'm just not that kind of person, yeah, not at all. And um, so I think it was really good for me. But like people sometimes act like it's the end of the world and they don't get into film school, mm. and or people have a chip in the shoulder if they've. Uh, never gone or something like that and it's just totally not necessary to go to film school you can learn filmmaking through so many different means and so many, especially now I think now is such a good time in some ways to be a young filmmaker I know probably it doesn't feel like that for everyone yeah. but I just feel like there's so many more ways to make films Yeah. Um, on a low budget It's interesting what you say about being shy and things mm. because well, when I first met you, yeah. I was terrified of you <laughs> because, <laughs> but and so were a lot of my friends. <laughs> it was because of we did the um, presentation oh, thing. We had yeah. to pitch our films. Oh god, was I really scary? You were very scary. Was I? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh Jesus! And like Eva, because you you've always been Eva Riley to everyone. <laughs> Because of that day where just like, there's someone called Eva Riley here and no one knows who you are. Oh, God. And then you were just terrifying. What was I assuming? Was I just being really, really, um, I don't know. You were just being very direct <laughs> and straight. So, I think I was trying to be like Simon Cowell or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I probably got like um, strung out on the power of being at the top table. Like, yeah. Really, yeah. Oh, God, that's awful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's that's terrible. Because our first lesson, like me and my friends were like, oh, my God, we've got to have Eva Riley. Like, <laughs> Let's all brace ourselves. And then it was completely different. And you were like, oh, okay, the loveliest person ever. It was yeah, just it's not funny. One. That is so funny. I'm sure it's, I went on a power trip being at the top table. Yeah. No, I think, um, that's so funny. Yeah, I think, but like, you know, everyone can put on a persona of being very confident or direct or whatever. I think I can be, come across as very direct sometimes. And I definitely, when I'm directing, I can be really straightforward and stuff. Yeah. But a lot of the time I just want to like hide away at home and be quiet and yeah. do you know what I mean? And I just like to get along with people. And, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I think, um, yeah, I don't know. That's really funny. <laughs> well, when I, when I was directing <laughs> my short film, um, it was like when the whole time you're directing, you're just powering off from like, um, you think you're going to break down at any moment. Yeah. That's how I felt. Anyway. Yeah. And it's like, I've just got to keep going. And it's like, there's this weird thing in your brain. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, 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 do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're completely direct. And then whenever it was lunch, I had to go off away from everyone else. Yes. And just sort of sit there with my eyes closed oh, for like the next 20 minutes. A hundred percent. Because you just, you, f you feel like you're going to melt. Yeah. And then you're like, right, okay, back to it. And you go back. Absolutely. It's the most full on experience. It's like a... It's just such mental pressure mm. and physical pressure as well because you're running around a lot. Yeah. I, I hide in the toilet a lot on film sets. I just yeah. go and lock myself in the toilet and just have some quiet time mm. because otherwise it's just too much. You know? Yeah. I don't remember anything during that time. Do you know what I mean? You don't... Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's just a total blur. Yeah. Never in your life are you going to have so many people wanting your opinion on something as well. Like, mm. That's what was the biggest shock to me when I first started. When I made this funded short film, everyone was asking me for their opinion on my opinion on stuff like clothes or whatever I was like I don't, yeah. I don't know yeah. but obviously now I realise that you know I do you know you have to think yeah. about those things you know like clothes and uh, decoration clothes and they'll decoration. go like does that look good and I'm like why do you want to know if but I think I, but good? I realise also that actually this is a really good point is that sometimes directors directors can be terribly insecure hmm. and, 
and they think, God, if I don't know the exact answer, people are going to look down on me. Yeah. I'm totally over that now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone asks me, I don't know, I'll just be like, I don't know. What do you think? You know, yeah. and that sometimes is the best answer. If, you know, if you're working with a talented designer or a talented costume designer and they ask you and you're not sure, you can just say, well, what do you think? Yeah. And they're yeah. probably going to have a great answer for you because they're super talented. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but yeah, I'm just still thinking about the traffic. It's so funny. Yeah, I think, I think, I think when you become a, te- when you teach people, sometimes you have to put on a bit of bravado or like seem a bit more confident yeah. than you are. It's hilarious. So. It was terrifying. Wow. It was very scary. I'm so excited that it was terrifying. <laughs> In a way, it's quite cool. It's quite powerful. It's quite fun isn't it? to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what led you to directing uh, Diagnosis? After mm-hmm. was it after film school? Yeah, so that's after film school. So I thought when I left film school that. I was done with short films because I'd right. made like four or five, six, seven, seven or eight short films at that point. So I thought, okay, I need to get on and make feature films. Um, but there was a thing where if you'd gone to the film school, uh, you could apply to get money to make uh, another short film. So with the BBC. So BBC and NFTS were par- partnering up and they, they were trying to get, and it was only for graduates. So you couldn't, it's not, you couldn't apply to it if you hadn't been to film school. You couldn't apply to it if you're at film school. You could only apply to it if you left. So then I, uh, my friend Emily, who's a really good producer, we really got on, but they never actually managed to work together because you get paired up at film school, so you don't always... I work with great people, but we I liked her as well. We never worked together. Yeah. We said, let's work on something together. She had gone... I think she went to Cambridge or something like that, Cambridge University, and she had a lot of medical student friends. Um, so she knew about this thing called medical role play. And for some reason, she was like, she thought that could be an interesting idea. And I was mm. like, I love it. This is amazing. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Because going back to my background in acting, I used to be part of a lot of amateur dramatics classes. Okay. So I know a lot of like, you know, I knew that world of like amateur actors. Yeah. Um. Sorry, just to say, just to make clear what medical role play is. Yeah. So medical role play is a thing where like um, actors come in and they pretend to be sick for like a doctor mm. for a medical student doctor and then they do a role play around about this this pretend gp session and then the medical students get marked on how they did with the the pretend patients and it's basically it's really important because it's like you get these medical students who might be amazing at all the science but they have no social skills at all yeah and it's really obviously important as doctors to be have empathy and have social skills so i just thought it was brilliant because like i say um I have a background where I've known sort of non-professional actors. And also as a director, you meet a lot of out-of-work actors. Mm. And I'm kind of always a bit hard. They always kind of break my heart a little bit. Yeah. Because a lot of out-of-work actors are amazing. Most of them are amazing. But you sometimes get these actors who are kind of not so good. Mm. And I'm like, wow, how are you this can't be your full-time thing. Because most the a- actors are out of, you know, are not in work. Yeah. The statistics are really depressing around that. Yeah. So I'm just very interested in that. And then we we uh, discussed a lot of the idea, and it was at one point going to be this quite broad kind of comedic thing about this woman who was a medical role play actor, and she was really jealous of another actor, and it, it was a bit camp and hammy, and like I don't know, it was a bit over the top. I remember we watched like Muriel's Wedding. Have you ever seen Muriel's Wedding? I recognise the name. It's an amazing she... film. Actually, we rewatched it, and I watched it before and liked it. But I rewatched it, and I was like, "This is an absolute masterpiece." Right. It's like really over the top Australian comedy about this woman who wants to get married. Okay. I remember watching that, and we thought, "Well, we do something like that." But and then I realised that that's really not my style at all. Mm. So we got the commission for the the short film, and then we spent a long, long time developing. Like I took a long time. Feels like it was a year, but I don't know if it can be that long. But it was a very long time, and. Uh, and then we were working with the BBC uh, Films Executive Producers and me and Emily were working together on it. And it's just a really complicated short film because I naturally like films that are kind of set over like a very small period of time. Mm-hmm. I don't like, especially short films, like I really don't like short films where it's like chopping and changing over lots of days because yeah. I just can't get into it. Yeah. So I wanted to do something which quite, felt quite immersive. And so we decided that this, it would be set over one day and this this woman doing all these different role plays and kind of cracking up over the course of the day. Hmm. And we were trying to flesh out this character who um, was like just an interesting character. So we just, we, we, I'm always very interested in these kind of, especially women who sort of project this very feminine thing mm-hmm. and it's very perfect and very nice image of themselves. And I never quite believe it because I'm like, no one can be that nice. Right. You know, uh, so I kind of wanted to do it about a character like that who's kind of very hyper feminine on the you know in her on her surface and very sort of genteel 
and very um I can't remember the word a very kind of placid I guess right. but underneath it all she's got all these kind of mental health stuff that's going yeah um and yeah it just worked from there and yeah it was a really nice experience so we shot it on film and yeah. um, I worked with a cinematographer who's a friend um, and it was just a great experience overall so do you want to talk about the peacock bit the peacock yeah wow <laughs> well I, you know diagnosis was such a good example of uh, developing something in a, in a really good way so me and emily the producer were really working a lot together mm. she's a really good like she's got really good writing ideas and creative ideas and at one we, we were talking about early on we had this idea for a scene where someone like what's the word um brain is actually turned off when you like talk and talk and talk and talk and then you realize you've talked too much right what's what is the word there's a word for that when you you, you suddenly stop talking and you go oh god what have i said yeah yeah I, I, there's a special word for it i can't remember anyway we wanted a scene where this woman is like all stressed out in her own head but keeping it secret from everyone else and then someone asked her something quite simple and she kind of blurts out all this stuff that's really unnecessary. And people around her are like, what? Where did that yeah. come from? Do you know what I mean? And so we had this idea that, you know, obviously, it's really boring when people talk about their dreams, isn't mm. it? But, like, we like the idea that she'd start telling this funny story about a dream. Mm-hmm. But then she'd keep on talking and talking and talking. And it would end up she'd telling the story about a very violent dream. And the people right. next to her would be like, whoa, this is really weird. Because they don't imagine it coming from this very genteel woman. Yeah. And for some reason, I think originally we thought it was, it was going to be about a swan being torn to pieces. Okay. Um, and then we had this idea, you know, this is really out of my comfort zone because I'd never done anything fantastical before. Yeah. I was like, well, what if we see this bird like in a later part of this film? And we were like, that's amazing. And we were like, I can't do a swan. There's no way we can yeah. rent a swan. I mean, yeah. swans are vicious. They're going like, to break our yeah, yeah. necks. Um, so I thought, what about a peacock? Mm. Um, and yeah, and so I guess a lot of people are very confused about the peacock. Um, but I guess for me, this is a film about a woman who uh, is very repressed. So she's sort of projecting this very perfect life. Um, and the idea is that she's kind of got swept along on this trajectory of like getting this perfect boyfriend, getting engaged, you know, setting up a family. And really she doesn't want to do that. And she's a much darker person than she's ever let him know or let anyone else know. And basically she has this dream about this peacock. <laughs> it sounds so mental when I say it aloud. Which is really just a kind of a symbol of this kind of anger and madness and repressed stuff inside her. Yeah. Um, and then when she sees the peacock later, some people won't have seen this film. So yeah. um, anyway, she sees the peacock in a kind of vision later on at this very heightened point in the film. I will link the film so people can Yeah, link the film. It's not on iPlay for that long, so link the Vimeo on. Yeah. When she sees the peacock later, she kind of says, sorry. Uh, What did she say? I'm kind of forgetting. Did she say sorry to it? She says something to the peacock. God, it's so long ago now. But but in a way, it's kind of, I guess the peacock is her. And it's it's her kind of engaging with herself for the first time. Right. And realising that she can't go through with this engagement. And I, people go, well, what's the big deal about an engagement? Like, you know, why is this whole thing based around this woman going mad because she's getting engaged to this guy? But I don't think people realise how... It is a big deal. You know, mm. if you're... I, This is not a... Uh, like, I'm not married or engaged myself. Like, I've not been through this, but... Oh, yeah, great. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I think the idea of being engaged to someone who you actually don't love... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Is, is a really scary thing. Mm. And this idea that you're about to embark on this life with someone who doesn't actually know you at all yeah do you know what i mean it's like a really terrifying thing so even though it doesn't seem a scary thing to some people i wanted to kind of look at it as a scary thing and think yeah, about yeah. her this this kind of cage that she's in and i think a lot of people are in a bit of a cage mm. when, it, when it comes people get so caught up in their persona and people want to project something about themselves and sometimes people don't really connect with who they really are yeah well a way i can relate to that is is when I had a job mm. that I, after a week, I had to leave. Yeah. <clears throat> because I had that feeling of feeling trapped, like, oh, no, yeah. I actually don't want to be here. Yeah. And I'm scared I'm going to be stuck here forever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be really depressed and really... So I had to get out. So I, I can understand that sort of, like, oh, what am I actually doing kind yeah. of thing. Absolutely. I think it's a terrifying thing. And I think especially if you're... It's very high stakes. I'm talking about st- high stakes or low stakes. I don't know why. But yeah. anyway, like, you know, if you've, you know... If you've built up this whole life, mm. which is so dependent on you being a certain way, 
And I sometimes think people have that kind of life. Yeah. Where they're only acceptable to people, like, you know, the important people in their life, like their partner or the workmates or whatever, they're only acceptable to them if they're this projected image of themselves. And they are fear that if they actually were themselves, they would be rejected. Right. It's quite a scary thing. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? That you've built this whole cage around yourself. You know? Yeah. So, well, yeah. It's the, 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 the peacock part as well, I think, from what you were saying is it's not that sort of fantasy thing is something you don't normally do. Yeah. I think that works so well because it had a very sort of David Lynch vibe to it mm. where it's surreal, yeah. but like, although it's out of the blue, it completely works and it's so fitting with the scenario. I think it, hopefully it works because it's quite a subjective moment. And I think I'm really interested in, I don't like fantastical stuff when it's just like for no reason. Yeah. But when it's part of someone's mindset and like Lynch does that really well in his films, like I love Mulholland Drive and stuff. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's very subjective and, I really love that. So mm. it was definitely an experience and I had to, we had to like rent a peacock. It was completely crazy. It was yeah, so out of my comfort zone. How was that? Yeah, it was absolutely nuts. Like there was one day when I had to go to like a like a like a farm, I guess, where yeah. they have like animals that you can hire out. Mm-hmm. I was a bit uneasy about it because I was like, oh, it's gonna be really the animals gonna be really miserable and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I went there, actually it was really nice. There's like peacocks roaming free and like they're running after me at one point. I couldn't find the person <laughs> that I was meant to meet and they're just like running after me as peacock. Yeah. Um it was so surreal. And then on the day we had these very very professional, very nice woman who came and like looked after the peacock and the peacock, you know, we, there were so many restrictions what we could do. Mm. You know, it's very basic. We just had to put them, put the peacock on the floor and film him. Um, but it was great. It was yeah. really fun. What would you say your style is like what what kind of films are you wanting to put out um i don't know like i guess like the thing that's the i think visually my visual style like changes depending on the story because i really like to work my visual style around whatever the story is that i'm telling right but i do like something a style visual style that's very subjective that doesn't always mean getting really close up or like getting a direct pov of someone although i have done that it also just means, you know, you can do a wide shot and make that very subjective shot by the way you sort of send to someone maybe in the middle or, you know, you can do lots of things to make something feel like a subjective. Um, but I guess like my one style of mine is the improvisational stuff. So I like to think that I can get a performance out of people that feels more real yeah. um, because of the improvising. And so I guess that's important. So I think, I guess if I was to sum it up, I'd say it's kind of... Um, subjective realism kind of thing but then I don't like I like I do like increasingly I like to have films that are very colorful and like have a lot of light in them like Mm. have like a I do like things that have a real good visual style to them yeah and don't feel kind of sloppy or don't feel a bit too conventional Mm. um so and in terms of the you know if some of the theme of the stories I just like really complicated characters that's like my main thing so I, that's kind of a loose way of summing up my style. Yeah. But, you know, people people can watch it, one film of mine and think it's completely, completely different. Yeah. yeah. Well, with, like, realism, a lot of, like, films with um, realism in, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Mm. They said it at a film school. Social realism? Time. Social realism. Oh, yeah. Don't start me on social realism. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't get into them. They're just not for me. And a lot of time, it is the visual style. Mm. Like, like... I can't get into Ken Loach films because mm. I'm just so bored by You're the bored, way it yeah. looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think from what from the films I've seen of yours and what I've seen of like especially like your newer film, mm. it's it has such a more cinematic style to it. Yeah, I think I'm always interested in something that feels bigger and cinematic. Um, and I was going to say, I I am really funny about the term social realism because it's right. stuff is a, is a term that people bandy around on uh, to my work mm-hmm. and i i'm perfectly fine with the term social realism but i think it's got a bit of a dirty dirty um name in in the uk it's really yeah. weird yeah and um, like especially you know if you, you do anything with working class actors in it instantly people are like oh social realism yeah and i find it kind of weirdly offensive it's this kind of it's this way of um people are very dismissive of the term mm. and i think people are very lazy about the term and i don't think people understand what it means at all and um, so, and I think actually when I was teaching in film school, I used to get quite cross with people when they said, oh yeah, it's going to be like a social realist film. I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Such a blanket term for lots of things. Um, so I definitely wouldn't use that term about, about me because it has such a dirty 
name in the UK. Yeah. Um, but I like realism is a different, you know, I just think subjective realism is kind of sums it up quite well. Yeah. So what kind of films um, and directors and things have inspired you throughout the years? Is And is it just films or is it other kinds of art as well? Um, like lots of films, like lot, I've definitely watched a lot of films that have like really blown me away. Um, so I think they probably influenced me the most and then photography as well. Right. So like a lot of my influence in terms of like planning how I'm going to shoot stuff comes from looking at photos. So like you'll see up on my shelf, it's got lots of photography books. Yeah. So that's what my sort of original passion was. And like lots of street photography, I find really inspiring. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you have a photographer who can take a photograph of a real thing, but kind of elevate it. Mm. So it's not just like, you say there's some people who are a bit lazy in street photography, just like take a photo of a, you know, a homeless person or whatever. And it can be a bit, a bit horrible and a bit, yeah, you know, voyeuristic. Like, a bit voyeuristic and not yeah. very nice. And you get people who just, like Vivian Meyer, who's an amazing street photographer, mm. and she took photographs in like the 50s, I think. And she just will frame something in the most amazing way. It'll just really make you think about like the world, yeah, this moment, history, just very exciting. Um, Isn't that how Kubrick started as well? I think, I think so. Yeah, I think, you, I think there's like exhibition books of all his yeah, photos yeah. and stuff. Film wise, like it's so different. Like I think I like there's kind of two strands to the films I like to watch and two strands to the films I like to make like in a, a sort of mirroring of each other. Okay. So I really like film. I, li- I like there's some kind of films that I really love because they just feel so visceral and so real. Um, so like Lynn Ramsey, right. Andrea Arnold, um, some of Clive Bernard's work has been really good. Um, who else? Like, you know, back in the, you know, older films, like, have you ever seen The Bicycle Thieves? Like an Italian... Uh, yeah, I know of it. I've not watched it. It's a it. beautiful film. Like, it makes me cry, like, so much. It's yeah. the saddest film in the world. It's about this man who loses his, his um, job. Uh, he loses his bicycle, which he needs for his work, so then he has to go and try and get it back and end up stealing a bike and right. sort of shames his family. And it's a bit over the top because it's very old... Was it um, doing like the Italian like? It's Italian neorealism yeah, kind of yeah. film, um, but even though some of it's quite over the top, like I find it so powerful as well. Um, so that was a really formative film. So yeah, so I like those films that are like really visceral in that way, mm. um, and then I also like films that are like very austere and very kind of heightened. No, heightened is not the right word. Very kind of austere and formal. Okay. So like, I love like Michael Haneke films. Have right. you ever watched any of his films? Not sure. Oh, he's just, you have to watch Michael Haneke films. Everyone, okay. if anyone's listened to this, you need to listen, watch them. Um, so he's like an Austrian director who's worked for many decades making these very austere and formal films about kind of like the nature of violence, like the nature of society in different places. Um, I don't like all of them, but there's a film like he did called The Piano Teacher, which is about kind of sadomasochistic piano teacher. Okay. And it is it is one of my favourite films. I think it's absolutely right. amazing. Is um, it like The Secretary, but in the piano? It's world? like a lot better than The Secretary. Okay. <laughs> Not just The Secretary, but it's like, it's very realistic okay. in the way it's filmed. And it's got, do you know the actress Isabelle Huppert? Not the sure. The French um, actor. She's in it. And it's very violent. Right. Very, very shocking, very violent. And I remember watching that and I think I was quite young and being like completely blown away. Oh, I just yeah. couldn't believe how good the acting was. And so I love his films. I love um Yorgos Lanthimos. I love uh, Dogtooth. Do you, do you have you ever seen that film? I know Dogtooth, but I can't put it. It's a great something. film. Yeah. Like, so that's another good film. Like I love his early stuff particularly. Um and it's just like a lot of world cinema. Like I love, I, I, when I was younger, I also worked a lot of film festivals. Mm. So I got to see a lot of really obscure um, world cinema. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just love stuff that's a bit different, but not different for the sake of being different. Yeah. I love stuff that has its own voice. Um, I love stuff that's often like following one character. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of a bit of a magpie for films. Like, mm. I just can't stand films where I'm like, why has this been made? Yeah. This is all over the place. I, I think there's a lot of Emperor's New Clothes with films. So there's a okay. lot of films, which I will not name, <laughs> that okay. I think, you know, get really lauded. And I just cannot understand why. Right. I, li- I just cannot understand it, honestly. Okay. And um, I'm so interested. To I know. absolutely will not name them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, sometimes I think stuff is just very basic in the way it's mm. made. Um and I think there's so uh, there's so many more interesting films that are getting made all over the world mm. that are not getting the same recognition because yeah. they're not as commercial or whatever. Um, so, yeah. so do you get bored of like formulaic 
films. Yeah, I guess I formulate. I get I get bored of really bad acting. Like yeah. I'm just amazed sometimes. Like I don't know. Like there's an expression that I pull. I this is really amazing Polish director called Malgorzata Szymowska. I hope I've said her name properly. And I did this kind of training thing, and she was one of the tutors on it. And she said it had an expression which I loved, which was like when you can feel the paper mm. when an actor is acting. So it's like an actor is acting and you can just almost imagine the script, the words written down on the script because they're they're just, they're not really in the moment enough. Right. Do you know what I mean? So that, I'm very picky about acting. Like yeah. if something doesn't feel like it's well acted or if it just feels like it's not real and I, I've just totally turned off by it. Mm. So like I think I said to a lot of film students that I taught, you know, you know, as a direct, people ask, like, how do you direct actors or whatever? Like, the most basic thing is when you watch someone acting, does it look like, if it's meant to be something that's realistic, when you watch them acting, does it look like how people talk in real life? Mm. And if it doesn't, then get them to do it again. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it, it's actually not that complicated. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just you've got to really push, push it and not move on from a take unless you're kind of happy with it. So I think for a lot of people that either are starting out or maybe don't know much about film, mm. the actual process for you mm. from very beginning to very end, and as brief as you can. In, um, in what, sorry, in terms of making the film? Yeah. yeah. So what do you actually do? I know that's a big thing. <laughs> okay. So in, in terms of, and when you say it, do you mean in terms of being a writer and director or just directing? Uh, writer and director. Okay. And, as, and actually getting the film made as well. Do you know what I mean? Physically made, like on set. Yeah. And, okay. And, and funding and things like, what do you actually do? Because I think a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people don't really know the films just sort of happen. Okay. Right. Well, I'll I'll try and I'll try and be brief. Yeah. So, like like I say, just a preface to this is that I am also a new filmmaker. Do you know mm. what I mean, even though I made short films, I've made one feature now. Like I am new to it, so this is my take of it. But yeah. it's different for us, different people. So. Um, what do I do? Well, I come up with an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might be walking along the road one day and come up with an idea. I think that sounds like a cool idea. Are those ideas like, got an idea or... Uh, yeah. Right. It, they tend to be quite, for me, they tend to be like, I, it's a real spark. And mm. I'm like, wow, that's a cool idea. So I watch like, for instance, I watch a lot of trashy television. Right. I watch trashy documentaries. I get an extraordinary amount of ideas from... from okay. Not like something where I'm like, oh, I'm going to copy this story in the documentary, but just uh, like, oh, that's an interesting character or whatever. Yeah. Have an idea, I'll write it down. Um, I have an agent, so I might tell my agent, oh, this is an idea I'm coming up with. And they might go, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. They might say it's not a good idea. (laughs) But either way, I'll think, okay, do I want to follow on with this? And then I have a lot of meetings with, um, what they call general meetings. So I have meetings with producers, production companies, um, funders. And it's just like a chat, you know, know, a little 20-minute chat with someone. And I'll often tell them about an idea I'll pitch an idea to them and then sometimes they might be like that sounds like a good idea so um you know write up a one page or a two pager of this idea and I might send it to them and they might like it they might not like it um and also I have a producer produce different producers I work with so uh, I had a producer I worked with in my feature um I have a producer working with on my next feature and um, so, for instance, the producer I'm working with on my next feature, we met in a general meeting. So he watched a short film that I like, he liked that I'd made. We had a meeting and we really liked each other. So we decided to, I pitched an idea to him and he liked it. So we started to work on it. But there's no money involved at in that point. It's just us kind of casually working together, hoping to work on it more formally later on. Okay. And then at some point, um, you, you've got to get some money to make a film. Right. So you can either apply to like a funding scheme or you can uh, do stuff through someone like BBC or Film 4, or you can raise money independently. So with my last feature film, I just applied to a thing called iFeatures with this idea, and it ended up getting made through that. So it's quite a different process to the normal process of making a feature film. Okay. Anyway, so... And then at some point, someone wants to give you money to develop the film, so you get something called development finance. And so... I'm a writer as well as director, so I might give a bit, get a, given a bit of money to make the film. You start to write the script, you write the script, and then you send it to the people who are giving you money, and they say, this is what I think about it. You get some notes, you do another draft, you keep on doing drafts. And um, at some point, they say, 
okay, we're going to give you money to make the film. Yeah. But no, that's <laughs> it's not that simple. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, the last film I did was very different because it was a, literally a case of, okay, we're going to give you the money to make the film. That doesn't usually happen. Usually you get money from different places. Um, so uh, hopefully you get the money to make the film and you kind of go into late stage development so the script is getting closer to being ready. And then you need to get production finance. This is where the pre- producer will be dealing with all this stuff. Right. Um, but, you know, obviously you've got to be doing the new drafts and you have to get a good script that's good enough to get production finance. Yeah. And then, yeah, once you've got all the money together for the film, you'll get given a green light, which, um, you know, is people saying, okay, we're going to definitely give you the money to make the film. It's going to happen. And then you go into, so that's kind of the end of the process of, you know, writing, developing, et cetera, et cetera. Then you're actually going to make the film. So at that point, you go into pre-production. So pre-production, I think is a really important stage. Um, It's basically when you get everything together to make the film. So you you crew up the film. So you choose your heads of departments, you choose your cinematographer, you choose your uh, composer, your editor, et cetera. and you start working with them and you start, so you'd, you'd have a meeting with them. You'd sit down and talk about the script um, you'd sort of explain to them how you want to work together um, and what you want the film to be. Because the thing is, when you have a script, 10 people can read it and everyone's got a different idea of what the film is in their head. Yeah. So the most important thing you can do as a director is make it very clear what style you want it to be. Very clear what the story's about. Like people can read vastly different things into, a, into the story of a script. So just explain to them what it's about. Um, you got to cast the film and so you got to get a casting director uh, you got to choose a really good casting director and uh, it depends how you're casting the film if you're casting first time actors you've got to meet a lot of actors a lot of young people or you know let's say an adult you're casting lots of adults yeah. you know for my last feature film I met like hundreds of children or young yeah. people to be the leads if you're casting um professional actors then you uh, will be looking at other TVs and uh, programs and films and short films and seeing okay this actor looks really good maybe we can go to their agent and ask them to be in the film um, and then if they're kind of famous you can't get them to audition so you have to ask them to just you have to offer it to them which right. is a bit scary so you have to look at all the stuff and think okay this person's definitely right Yeah. maybe you can maybe get a coffee with them but maybe not Yeah. Um. so you need to choose your cast and then you yourself, you need to break down your own scripts because like you, you have to move on from being a writer, which is quite a difficult thing sometimes. And often there's a, a lot of overlap, so you might be writing, changing things up right until the end. But in general, you, you lock the script. You say, this is the script. Mostly it's not changing. Um, and you break down yourself, so you start doing shot lists. I don't do storyboards. I can't draw. I'm not interested in storyboards, but I do shot right. lists, which are very loose. You know, mm-hmm. it'll say like mid-shot of the face yeah they move it a frame blah 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 and it's you know it's just a loose thing to keep me on track i'll do scene breakdowns i'll be like okay in this scene this is a visual reference from another film just to remind me of what i want from it this is what i want to get from it this is what i'm going to do with the actors in the scene um and pre-production is really scared like locations as well like looking for all the locations for the film which is i find really stressful mm-hmm. and very important mm-hmm. um and just getting ready. That's like literally just getting ready, getting everyone on the same page. It can be very stressful because really once a film starts shooting, it's just like so full on. You know, you've done it. Yeah. You know, it's like, and especially when you're doing a feature and there's lot, lots more money involved and, you know, it's a bit scary. Yeah. So you have no, you're very little time to change stuff around during the shoots. So you really like, you're kind of like making the film, basically. You know, yeah. if you cast the wrong actors in pre-production, you're totally fucked. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, I, I think it's almost impossible to get the wrong actor to just, like, become what you want it to be. Yeah. So, yeah, pre-production finishes, and then you start the film, and it's very scary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you've prepared a lot, but really, you, you can... There's always things... Things always change. Mm-hmm. Every day, it's very full-on, so it's, like, 12, 11, 12-hour days. Um, you shoot the film, and then... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, it's weird when you come to the shooting film, it's like, yeah, you shoot the film. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of it. Yeah, you get up in the morning, you have your shot list, you go to work, you rehearse with the actors, you do a crew rehearsal, you talk to your heads of departments, you make lots of decisions from the day, and you 
you shoot the scenes basically yeah. that, and and like in the evenings you might have to talk to your producers or your first idea about things that might change in the shoot but yeah shoot the film and then afterwards I shoot the film have a usually have a little bit of a break because I'm like really tired from making yeah. the film and then I edit the film so when I say edit as a director I sit with an editor and they physically touch the mm-hmm. computer yeah I try and avoid touching you know I don't actually do any editing myself yeah but I what I'll usually do is let the editor do the first cut by themselves. So like I'll while I'm having a little break, they'll do a first cut and I won't be there at all. Because I think as a director, you can get, uh, you're too close to it and you need someone to just do a bit of work so then you can look at it afresh. Mm. So they do a cut by themselves and then I join them after that and sit with them most days, just talking through the scenes, talking about how we can change it, doing lots of different versions of the scenes. So sometimes it'll be like a particularly difficult scene we've done like, 30 different cuts of it just because we're kind of like experimenting with it and then we go to sound you know grading the film all of that stuff and we finish off yeah. and then you know it goes out of the world so with like with your new film now yeah which you're, you've been taking to festivals and yeah. things after is the, how long does the festival season run for you how long are you putting it into places and then after that what, what are you planning on doing with it um, it's a bit of a different one. I'm a bit new to the whole features distribution and sales thing. Mm. So, um, you know, we had the premiere of the film in October at the BFI London Film Festival. We've got some more festivals um, now and the next couple of months. Um, I don't really know how long the festival season lasts for a feature. Mm. Um, but basically, with a, a feature film, you it gets uh, taken to it. It has a sales company. Okay who are trying to sell the film to distributors and to different territories. Yeah. I really am not an expert on this thing, so I'm maybe saying the wrong thing. Yeah. But uh, so we have a sales company selling the film and we've now sold it to France, I think. Okay. Uh, and they're going to, they're distributors. They sold it to French distributors and then they try and get it. In, I think it's going to be in cinemas in France in April. Um, and then I hopefully we'll have it in the UK as well. And then down the line, maybe there's digital stuff. Yeah. But I don't really know. Do you want it? It's very different from short films. Okay. So short films, like I was the person doing all the submissions. I was like the salesperson almost. Yeah. Because it was, it's harder to get a sales company for a short film. Yeah. Um, do you so prefer it that way or do you prefer other people? Oh, no, I hate that end of things. I mean, like okay. it's fun obviously going to festivals and things, but I, I, I find it so... I've done it so many times to short films. Yeah. And I'm quite good at it. Like I've got my spreadsheet and... I know all the festival to submit to and all yeah. that stuff. But I find it boring and demoralizing as well because like you can apply to a lot of places and not get into lots of them. Yeah. Be really dispiriting. Um but it's also really nice. Like I had a short film that went to Cannes and it was like amazing and you know, you get a lot of attention off it and you feel like, wow, I've really I've really uh succeeded in the on this film. So it's mm. a lovely thing when it works out. But that film also didn't get into lots of other festivals. Um and then Diagnosis didn't get into loads of festivals, but it's done really well online. Yeah. So it's just like, there's so many different, like, homes for, for short films, you know. And in terms of your, your newest film, yeah. do you want to briefly talk about that? Just yeah. what it's about? So it's about, it's a complicated one to explain. It's, um... It's basically about like a teenage girl who is her father is this very conservative businessman and she is also very conservative. She's like a kind of mini Ivanka Trump, I guess, right. a bit like British. Um, and basically she gets left alone in this, um, her dad like moves her up to Scotland and then kind of leaves her alone for a bit and you think it's going to come back in a week. But she's kind of been left alone and kind of abandoned by her dad, essentially. And she starts at a new school she can't really fit in with anyone. And then she kind of makes friends with these very nerdy girls who are kind of outcasts of the school. Um, and they have like a series of sleepovers where basically she kind of creates a cult okay. with this group of girls. And it's kind of like, I describe it sometimes as like a sort of Lord of the Flies with girls, right. um, young teenage girls. And it's quite violent. And it's like, it sounds very serious, but it's actually quite funny at the same time because it's quite absurd what these girls get up to in these series of sleepovers. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what it's about. People might hear the baby in the background. Yes, yes, baby. With a new baby, how has mm. that changed? Has that changed anything in terms of the way you look at 
your career where you want to go that kind of thing yeah that's a really good question because yeah I mean it's a really big thing I have a four-month-old baby um and you know it's a huge thing having a baby suddenly especially when you're uh, the mom and you know in the early days you got to really be quite connected to them and like you know you can't really be away from them too much mm. I mean some people do but you know I'm not um so it's tricky because you know filmmaking is inherently about being somewhere for a long time doing like intensive long days yeah so I'm kind of in the middle of working that all out um and i I think at the moment, like this year, I wouldn't do anything that took me really far away for a long time. Okay. Um, but I've got, you know, a supportive partner and, you know, in the following years, you know, I, I will do that. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, so I guess what I'm doing at the moment is like really focusing on writing new projects. Yeah. Because that means I can be closer to home. Mm. And um, so I've got this new film that I'm co-writing, the one I just told you about, that like co-writing with someone. And then I've got like TV ideas that I'm trying to develop as well. So that is kind of, it's kind of like my, my writing year. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, if something came up towards the end of the year, directing-wise, I would definitely go for that. So yeah. I, I also want to go for TV directing as well. Um, but it is tricky. Yeah, it is yeah. really tricky. And I think what I hope to do is focus a lot on my own projects, um, but also take some directing projects for TV that I've not written as well. Yeah. But it's like, a, it's a really difficult juggling thing. And I think, you know, people talk a lot about how there's not enough women in the film industry, which is definitely true, and especially directors. And there's so many different things that that's because of. Yeah. And I wondered, I, well, actually, I'm pretty certain a lot of it is also to do with women having, like, not all women, but when women do have children, yeah. it does kind of, kind of blows things up a little bit. Mm. So at the moment, it doesn't feel like it's a problem for me, you know, because I feel like I know what I'm doing this year. I, and I think it's much easier because I am a writer and director. I think if yeah, I was yeah. just a director, it'd be really tricky. Mm. Um but because I do both, I can kind of balance my time to more towards writing at the moment. Well, there you have it, Eva Riley. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Like I said at the beginning, I will link as much of Eva's work as I can in the bio. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of the Tom Finn podcast. Remember to like, rate, and share the podcast, etc., etc. Thank you to Toby Morgan for the graphics, Danny Young, Luke Perrett, and Tom Harrison for the music. And until next time, bye-bye.